Welcome to another exciting episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. This is episode 28, and we're joined by Gordon Zhu, who teaches workshops on JavaScript at Watch and Code. We are also joined by Luis Vargas, a senior manager on global payments at Netflix, who has actually recently been learning JavaScript on, in his spare time and has attended some of Gordon's workshops. In this episode, we will talk about our journeys of how we've learned JavaScript and things we found difficult and ways we've overcome them. Gordon and Louise, can you give us brief introductions of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? Uh, sure, so I'll go first. Uh, my name is Gordon Zhu. I'm the founder at watchandcode.com. And the mission that I work on every day is to help turn beginners into uh, amazing developers through videos that I make. So I spend all my time making videos and teaching, talking to students, and figuring out how to get better at teaching. The favorite happy hour drink is usually beer, sometimes coffee, depending on the mood. This is Luis Vargas, and uh, yes, I, I work at Netflix. I work in something very unrelated to coding, but I'm trying to learn how to code, and I'm currently a student of, of Gordon. And um, my favorite happy hour beverage is say coconut juice, but we ran out of coconut juice today, so I'm doing oh, with man. Snapple. Snapple's a good choice. <laughs> awesome. And hey, Gordon, how do you like hearing yourself on video? At first, it was horrifying, and then... And then you just get, you just deal with it. You just deal you with have a the, choice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we all have to hear our voices all the time, so I thought I would ask. <laughs> That's not true. I never listened to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so we just bash you on it afterwards. You don't know the final cut. I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's also go around the table and give brief introductions of today's panelists. Mars, you want to start it off? Sure. Hi, I'm Mars Julian. I'm a senior software engineer here at Netflix. Um, my favorite happy hour beverage is definitely wine because I like to complain. <laughs> <laughs> I can just picture Mars holding like a glass of wine and just like Whining. lamenting. <laughs> the CSS uh. is too nested. <laughs> Love it. Stroking her cat. <laughs> uh, my name is Brian Holt and I'm a junior developer for life at Netflix. I'm Ryan Aklum. I'm a senior software engineer at Netflix. Stacey London, front-end developer at Alassian. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Resource. 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 So anytime we not say- memory. Not memory. Not memory. <laughs> if anyone listened to our last episode, we chose a poor keyword of memory and we were talking about Rust, which deals with memory. So it, we said it a lot. Uh, so in this episode, we've chosen resource. Uh, if anyone says the word resource, we will all take a drink. Wait, we recorded an episode on Rust? I don't remember anything about that. That's probably because you I were drinking why. too much at that time. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, let's get started. I would love to hear from everyone's experience on how they actually learn JavaScript. I can start. How did I learn JavaScript? I, I got a job as a PHP developer uh, accidentally because uh, I was a Java developer previous to that. Well, I just, that's what I took in college. Uh, so being a web developer kind of necessitates learning at least some JavaScript. So I remember one of the very first things I wrote, I uh, was interacting with Google Maps on the client, and I named the function and a variable inside the function the same thing, which uh, if you've never done that, it's fascinating because it just blows up everything and gives you the worst error message. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point I realized like, I hate JavaScript, this is just the worst. I wrote a blog post on it, how it's just the worst thing. It's probably still out there. You could probably Google for it. And from there, uh, yeah, went on to learn more and more JavaScript until I, again, accidentally became a front-end developer. But that's probably another story for another time. Looking back at it now, would you rather be in Java world? No. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about PHP world? No, I mean, the answer is no, but PHP gets a lot of shit. It's still an okay language. I would take it over Java, to be honest. Depends what you're doing. I guess that's true. I mean, Java's fine too, right? Like, especially later versions of Java, even though like they got some craziness into there, but whatever, it's fine. Java 8, is that what we're on? Yeah. Yeah. I had a small, one small course in college, but this was like the early days of the web, like the late 90s. So there really wasn't like curriculum in place to kind of teach you this stuff. So mostly self-taught. So it was on the job learning. I got my first job as an intern on an e-commerce team. <laughs> Back when that was cool to prefix everything with E. And that's and I basically learned everything from there. So it was like a few jobs later, prototype was a thing for a while. So I, I learned that. And then jQuery. And then kind of then those things 
and then back into JavaScript natively and learning that a lot better. And it's it's all been self-taught mentors over the years um, and watching videos and online tutorials and all that kind of thing. So I learned JavaScript in a, in a way I don't recommend anyone go about, but I learned it through building Angular applications. So when I started doing Angular, uh, I was at my first programming job. I didn't know JavaScript at that time because I learned through Python and, and Java previously. And so I just would look at weird stuff in Angular and be like, what is that? And then just through that process repetitively finally <laughs> figured things out. Super painful and don't recommend doing it that way. But like a couple books that I, I mean, I think I remember just the struggle of trying to find a, a good a good resource. A good resource. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It was just always like um, I would I would start a book and then be just stuck. So I remember like reading JavaScript, the good parts, and just super lost. And then same thing with um, eloquent JavaScript, and and then I I made the mistake of trying to read um, JavaScript, the definitive guide. The, oh, wow, the thick one? The thick one, oh, man. yeah. I used to hold a monitor up with it. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a good use. Yeah. So, yeah, I just did a lot of stupid stuff, and then just, yeah, it finally made sense, mostly from banging my head on Angular. Yeah, and Angular is a tough one, too, because there's a lot of magic that's happening behind the scenes. So you're like, oh, cool, this works. But then if you're trying to actually write just vanilla JavaScript, you're like, wait, how come this isn't taken care of for me? Yeah, exactly. I didn't like JavaScript at first, if I can remember right. I did a lot of Flash work, and my first time really doing JavaScript was sometimes manipulating things in Flash or sharing to the browser. You could do certain things with JavaScript to talk to the Flash application. And that was really all I was ever doing. And I was like, yeah, JavaScript, it's like useless. You don't really need it. Just that's all I need it for is bridging between the two. And then Flash died. And I was like, oh, cool. Now I need to figure out this JavaScript stuff. And I jumped in and found that like I loved it. And that was also around the days of jQuery. And I think jQuery, MooTools, Dojo, there's a bunch of them that did really kind of help make JavaScript better for the browser. And in my opinion, I think something like jQuery really helped push JavaScript a lot more across the browsers. So that's kind of how I got into it. Yeah, I got started as a cold fusion developer way back in 98-ish. Goddamn Adobe products. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Well, that wasn't a Lair product back then. That wasn't even Adobe. Well, and I started, on, it was a Macromedia product, so. Goddamn Adobe products. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I started, being started in you know 98, we had, what, IE 4 or 5, I think, was, was the shit back then. We're still on using Netscape browser, so I learned by viewing source, and I absolutely hated JavaScript for probably the first eight or nine, maybe even ten years of my career. And then, yeah, I think jQuery was probably the big stepping stone for me as well. When I saw that, I started getting serious about it, picked up JavaScript, the good parts, and, and read that cover to cover, and I guess that's kind of where I started really becoming a serious JavaScript developer. Um, and maybe five, four or five years ago, I started realizing that... Um, as hot as Cold Fusion was, it probably wasn't going to be a, a good long game for me. So then I decided to kind of start shifting gears to being a more front-end focused person. So it's a good choice. So I'm going to admit this is pretty embarrassing, but I didn't realize I was learning JavaScript when I started. I was working at an internship that used um, primarily PHP and some jQuery. And I remember trying to get Google Maps to work, and I was just like, I'm going to copy-paste this over here because I don't really know what it's doing. And so with my jQuery experience there, I was able to get a job in the Bay Area at a company that was using Backbone. And that's when I finally realized what was going on, that this was JavaScript. There are frameworks. You can manipulate the DOM. You handle user interactivity. And that was kind of when I realized what was going on in my developer education. And This was last week, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> we don't use Backbone. But <laughs> And then one of the major revelations was when I was actually digging into the source code of an analytics library, and I'm like, oh, this is a really powerful language outside of the frameworks that you're kind of like introduced to it through, if that makes any sense. It kind of obfuscates some of the complexity, but also some of the sophistication. So kind of got into it accidentally <laughs> without even realizing. No, I love that too, because I think sometimes even speaking to Gordon doing like Angular and like you doing Backbone, it's like they seem... I don't know, you're like, well, I'm writing Backbone, I'm writing Angular. You don't necessarily know 
you're actually writing JavaScript. So I, I don't think you're probably the only one out there that thinks that. Well, I think there was not like an emphasis in the early days too about like that it was important that you knew JavaScript. It was like, oh, you're a web developer. You're going to work on this PHP framework or this ASP.NET framework or, yeah. or whatever it was, ASP yeah. original, like all those kind of things. Like you, they wanted you to know like C Sharp was more important to know or Java was more important to know. And that was like this cute little side language that happened to you happen to do, have to do as part of it. Yeah, I remember like early uh, Reddit implementations, they actually wrote all their JavaScript in Python, and then they had Python commands that would generate their JavaScript. Ew. Oh, man. Yeah, it's, and there's still remnants in there. Like it, Reddit's all open source. You can go see that grossness. It lives on, but it's, yeah, it's horrible. Probably a good idea at some point, maybe. I, I, I don't see how it would have been, but... Well, I mean, look at the front end of Reddit. It's not necessarily the, That's the, true. Prettiest, the prettiest yeah. thing. It, was it does what by, it's supposed to do. It was written by back-end developers, I'll put it that way. Fair <laughs> enough. I'd also be interested to know, since we're talking about learning JavaScript, what was the most difficult concept you found to learn JavaScript? There's kind of two ways to answer that question. Uh, like, what's the most difficult thing to learn when you're learning a program, right? Fair, because I think, yeah, it doesn't necessarily relate just to JavaScript. But specifically to JavaScript, I think our um, prototypal inheritance and uh, context are two really difficult things for, to grasp. And I can say that because we'll interview people still that don't necessarily know what this is in, in various different contexts. I would agree with that. This prototypal inheritance and maybe closures too, I think are. Closures are a tough one. I think that would probably be up there with one of my top ones. Hands down, it's array.prototype.slice versus array.prototype.splice. <laughs> I have no fucking idea what either of those do. I yeah, look those I up it all the time. time. I Google that one all the time, and I think I've got, I've got it now, but dot uh, .call versus dot .apply. Mm -hmm. I know what they both of them are, I just can never which is which, right? At least you know what you're Googling. You're like, when do I use this one, and when do I use the other? Yeah, there's like 40 different questions on Stack Overflow about it. I think it really depends on what's your background. <laughs> like, it seems that most of you guys were developers, so I don't know if that helps or if it hinders, you know, when you're learning JavaScript. Like, to me, everything is new. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know if it's hard or not. It, it just seems hard. Like, and for example, <laughs> you know, the keyword, this. Like, the first time I saw that, it looks like English, but it is in English. <laughs> <laughs> and there are so many rules, right? Into, or, or at least Kyle Simpson writes about so many rules and, you know, how to use this and wh what value it takes depending on the, on the context. And uh, so it was pretty hard. And, and the whole idea of coercion, you know, that you can take a string, but then it yeah. may be a number and... Oh, yes. That is actually pretty difficult in any language. But yes, like... It's interesting hearing your perspective, too, because you're right. We all had maybe something that we were already writing and then trying to learn JavaScript, but you're coming at it fresh, learning programming in general, but it's just JavaScript. If, well, you chose a good language to learn. Right, and and, uh, and I'm, I'm grateful to the people because, you know, the, the thing about learning how to program when you're new is not like running where you say you just put on your tennis shoes and go out and walk really fast, and, and then you're running, right? Is you know, with programming, you say, okay, I want to learn how to program. And then they say, what language? And you're like, I have no idea. I just want to learn how to program, right? And uh, so I'm, I'm grateful to the people who have published material out there that says start with JavaScript because the overhead is very, very low. <laughs> Basically, all you have to do is fire up your browser, click Command Option J, and all of a sudden you're on the you're in a place where you can actually code. <laughs> I think that is a big thing too, is there isn't this like whole setup that you have to do. You can just really code in the browser and you can see something happen. And I think that is a really, really powerful thing to learning a language. You're not trying to set up an entire development environment. And like, JVM. Yeah, like, that, that's hard. Like that is a lot of work. Visual Studio. <laughs> oh, Visual Studio is never fun either. I think I started using FrontPage to learn JavaScript. Good call. That was probably my first, yeah. They used FrontPage in my class. <laughs> that I, my very first JavaScript class. That was, that was the tool. True story, uh, Derek Shower still uses FrontPage. <laughs> At Microsoft? <laughs> Don't they get forced to use it? Isn't that what happens? I think so. <laughs> They're going to tell me you can't be on this podcast anymore. <laughs> I definitely remember kind of the same things being hard when I was learning, like this, context and closure and things like that. But from teaching, it seems like not a language thing, but I feel like it is. It's just all the stuff, like even which version of JavaScript to learn first is is a stumbling block, and then people just get stuck and they'll make a choice. 
or just all the different ways you can do the same thing, those people off, or like in uh, You Don't Know JS, Kyle says coercion is really important to understand, and then in Axel's book Speaking JS, he says, don't worry about it, don't do it. And then just like trying to sift through all the noise and understand what you should focus on is just really tough. And I feel like in Ruby, there's a way to do things, and JavaScript just doesn't have that. Which no, makes it super <laughs> you super can do it hard. in many, many ways. And I feel like there's a lot of opinions out there. There's very strong opinions. Even on this podcast, we'll ha- we've had fights about some one person's on one side, one's on the other. It's it's something that, you know, there's not necessarily a one right way to do something, which is not a bad thing. But I think as someone learning, that can be very difficult. Yeah, I think I think when you're learning, the part to understand is not that it really matters if you follow like approach A or approach B, but if you just pick one, you will see the merits and cons of the other approach. But I think the problem is because there are these two, three, four, five choices, it just, people get paralyzed and they don't, they can't like progress and they feel like I'm not doing the best practice or whatever that means. Um, So I see that as a big problem, both when I was learning and, and teaching. I get a lot of questions like that about kind of the ecosystem of the language, which makes it, I think, the hardest, is the hardest part of learning, I think, just the distraction of all the stuff out there. Yeah, how often do people ask you what framework to learn or whatever? Do you get that question a lot? All, all the time. Yeah, so I think less so. I feel like Angular really kind of hurt themselves with adoption, with the way they versioned uh, from one to two. Uh, so, you know, a year a year or two ago, the Angular versus React question was super common. Now, almost nobody asks that question because it just seems like not as much of a debate these days. So at least that's good. So uh, it seems like React has kind of been the thing that beginners like. But I think from my perspective is like, I don't teach any frameworks at all. And so the message I try to give people is if you focus on the foundations and you focus on your actual ability, your ability to read code, write code, debug stuff, understand what frameworks are doing, you can rise above, you know, what framework should I choose? Because I think experienced developers don't worry. They, they see that as a decision, but they don't worry about that. Uh, whereas beginners are like, damn, if I'm going to invest this time, I need to have a result. I need, you know, it has to be the same framework that companies use. and the things that people ask in the interviews and they feel like they have all this all this stuff invested in that choice when it doesn't matter as much as as you think but again i think it's the same thing with like it's just another choice that's not really that productive for actually learning the language because we all learn different ways and probably different frameworks and even adobe products <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter that much i th- i think one of the biggest challenges is you don't know what you don't know and in in spanish we have a phrase we say uh, El que no conoce a Dios, a cualquier barbudo se le inca, which is, if you haven't met God, you will kneel down in front of every every guy with facial hair. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) No, it it happens. It's a real thing. (laughs) (laughs) Brian says this with a beard. (laughs) So I I think that's what happens is like everyone has an opinion and and you don't know if this guy is a master or he, he just thinks he's a master he's someone with a lot of self-confidence but no knowledge so you hear so many opinions and you go like oh my so one week you think i'm gonna be doing this and then the next week you go like oh no no that was a waste of time now i'm gonna do that and then you just churn so much trying to find good resources cheers (laughs) yeah there's so much churn trying to find a good resource and so that you can have like a a clear linear path to learning that's probably the uh, the most challenging bit for me, and I'm I'm so glad. Are you guys familiar with Derek Sievers? No, Mm-mm. no. Uh, he's the guy. Like, and and all of you are very young, but you know, like maybe you've heard of a company called CD Baby. Uh-huh. He's so he's the founder of this company called CD Baby. He was a musician, and he was uh, he wanted to start selling his his own CDs, independent CDs, on online in the early '90s. So he went from being a, a a musician to he became a programmer a self-taught programmer and he created this company called CD Baby and then the dot-com boom happened you know like his company got acquired and now he's a billionaire living in Singapore right but the uh, but he publishes really good advice and I I stumbled ac- across his advice and, and he said yes do learn to program 
start with JavaScript because very low overhead and avoid all the frameworks. Just start with plain vanilla JavaScript. And, and I think that's, that's good advice. It's been good advice for me. I don't know what do you guys think, if, if you guys think it's better to start with a framework. No, I completely agree with starting with vanilla. It's definitely the right route. Also look at, we've talked about frameworks coming and going. Like just on this podcast, we've talked about how Angular isn't as big as it was before. Backbone, we're not doing very much anymore. I'm sure there's still people out there writing Backbone, but it's less and less. React seems to be a pretty big hot one right now. But a year from now, maybe not. It might still be, but I think the fundamentals of JavaScript are the most important thing. And yeah, I always tell people that. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna have to constantly relearn a new framework every couple of years probably. And that's definitely been my experience. And if you don't know the fundamentals, learning the framework will be an even higher barrier. Like you'll, you'll more quickly grasp what that framework is trying to do for you if you have a good grasp on the fundamentals. Yeah, I think frameworks are really useful, but you need to know the fundamentals. I'm also interested to know, a few of us have taught workshops and I'm sure a few of us have actually attended workshops. What are the benefits that you see with these workshops? I have the front end masters intro to web development that I taught with uh, Nina Zakarenko. Uh, I'm about to go back and do it again. I think they're useful, not just because I get royalties. I mean, that's useful. <laughs> <laughs> but I think they're useful because you're getting someone that has really thought through the journey here and kind of presents to you like the best, or I wouldn't say the best, but at least a pathway to learning what you're supposed to know. I think it's one way. Uh, you, you really need to figure out your your preferred method of learning. Like for me, when I was in college, I could never take notes because as soon as I started taking notes, I stopped paying attention to the lecture. And for me, it's actually hearing a person say it and watching them do the problem is how I learn really well. Whereas other people, like my wife needs to get the, the text and read it over and over and over again. I can't do that. Like if you give me a textbook, it just doesn't help. So I think particularly for people that enjoy that style of learning, I think it's super helpful. What I liked about, actually I've sat in a couple of your workshops, is I like the fact that some of them you're coding along and that to me is like actually seeing something progress really helps me learn. Uh, learning a fundamental without really seeing it applied has always been difficult so i like those workshops when you're actually creating something and you're you're seeing it kind of evolve and you're like oh well, that's why i used a for loop there or you know that's why i wrote this into a function it doesn't matter whatever you're doing it's like you start to understand why you're doing those things and how it's functioning and working together and i think that's a lot better than reading it in a textbook Definitely. And seeing something that's not a to-do list, you know, like seeing do, working through a live, uh, something that's more realistic to what you might be building in a job, that's huge. I have a lesson in, in my course that teaches people how to do a to-do list. The, the, the lesson is everything's a to-do list. <laughs> so, so like Slack is a to-do list with the form at the bottom. Same thing with like Yelp and Google are just to-do lists and... Asana, obviously. Shell is like a hundred million dollar to-do list. <laughs> it's uh, it's boring, but there's a reason that Brian likes it. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And the reason I like it too. I kind of like that you just applied it to so many things, though, because you're right. It they're all basically a list of items, and there's a lot that you learn by doing that too. Is like how do you sort the list? How do you add something new to the list? How do you remove? Like those are all fundamental things that you need to learn uh, to create an app. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, like most people give good advice. They say, well, find something you want to build and then then learn that way. But at the beginning, you don't even know that. You were like, I don't know what I want to build. <laughs> so it's very helpful when someone says, okay, this is what we're going to build. Yeah. <laughs> because that way, at least you have a picture in your mind as to if I do this right, this is what it should look like. <laughs> and um, that that's how I came across um, Gordon's material, you know, when he said, okay, we're gonna create a to-do list. And and then, you know, in the process of creating the to-do list, then we were learning the basic concepts. This is an array, and this is how you interact with an array and the different methods behind it. So I, I like that a lot. I mean, there are other good resources out there. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> free, free code camp and um, I, I, I can't remember some of the others, but basically in, in those, you know, you're just, they teach you a concept, they give you a small exercise and say, congratulations, now you know what an array is. <laughs> and you go, okay, and that, what do I do with that now? <laughs> like, so it's, it's good to have an end, an end goal. I like the idea that you're learning 
like how to use an array, like kind of what it is and how to actually use it. Because if someone just explained to you what an array is, it sometimes wouldn't make like you're like, why would I ever need this? Like, why do I care about storing something in an array? It reminds me of something when I first learned during school, I was being taught about cookies. And the example of leveraging a cookie didn't make sense to me. Like it, I was like, why would you ever use this? The example was, was to change and save like the state of like a color of the background of a website and that that's what you're supposed to do. And I'm like, why, who the hell cares like to change like the background color of a site and save that preference for that person. It didn't really resonate with me, but the minute you apply it to something that you're like, oh, like there's a reason to save a cookie for something more valuable it made more sense to me and like that made, I don't know, just like something that didn't really resonate with me. So I didn't really give a shit about learning it. Yeah. I think that's why some of the workshops that I think are the best workshops tell stories and they tell you a story of like what, what you want to build and why you want to build it. And every, every step along the way, this is the, the syntactical way to do something, but this is why you want to do it. That's huge. So there's like these like self-taught self-led courses where it's like, let's use vanilla javascript to do some sort of mathematical equation and you're like i don't care well i think i heard Jaffer make the analogy that programming is just like human pattern matching <laughs> right that we see like okay i have this kind of problem i'm going to use this sort of tool to solve it right like yeah. i have i need to do a repeated instruction therefore oh, okay repeated instruction that means i need to use a for loop Right, and if they only teach you like here's the for loop, and they never tell you what what that matches to, then you're never gonna know when to use it. The, the thing that I like about uh, workshops, and even more than than videos, is that it keeps the instructor honest, because you're gonna have people trolling you live, and asking you and holding you accountable. Whereas you can make a really crappy video and never respond to a comment, and so I think just generally workshops tend to be higher quality because they have to be because the, the audience holds holds instructor more accountable. And then the other thing that makes the quality of, I think, videos as well uh, as workshops is that after you've done a couple of books or blog posts, uh, it's kind of inevitable. You're probably going to find something where either it might be totally your fault or it might be a typo, but because of that, you can't progress. Well, like there, a step was missed or something then you develop this skepticism and like worry when you go through text that you don't have in a video or workshop because they did it in front of you and there's kind of like proof that they didn't mess up and and withhold information or something and so i find that uh that was a constant worry for me to or the books had a date or something and uh then you know you miss this step that you had to account for i like that that's true and i i think you probably as giving the workshop both, like I know Brian's done a lot too, is you learn a lot, probably just the fact of how to improve the course each time because you're getting feedback on it and you're like, oh shit, it's, you know, I need to tweak that rather than just writing a blog post or, uh, you know, just broadcasting a video. It, it's great. It's not a bad thing, but I think you're not getting as much of the feedback to learn uh, on how to improve it too. I think something that you did in your workshop that I thought was really nice is that idea of building upon if you make a mistake in your code and you can't follow along anymore, that idea of taking snapshots yeah. and saying like, you're doing some work and maybe you've fallen behind and maybe you can't quite figure it out, but here's a snapshot point that you can catch up. Yeah, and, like and a, a git branch, right? And then be in a good place. I think the other thing too with, with workshops is, uh, this is probably, people get really upset when people mess up in a live demo in a conference, but in a workshop, it's kind of nice to see the instructor mess up you feel better about yourself, but you also, you also <laughs> see how to you see how to like debug and and solve problems that like you're gonna do the same thing, probably worse. And so to see that happen and not see a perfect like 30 second video, <laughs> like sped up and is 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 kind of nice. It's 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 more realistic. It's like if a coworker was next to you versus like a fake video. How does it differ between teaching and learning? Like you're both teaching a workshop. Does that help you also learn some better concepts, teaching? Like how does that differ between learning and teaching? I give a actually a talk on this this past year in Poland. There's a there's a phenomenon called the empathy gap, which I find really interesting. That basically there was a science experiment done that basically said they took a group of people that had been divorced and they took another people that had never been divorced and they asked the each peop, group of people this person's going through a really difficult divorce. How much empathy do you feel for them? Like I'm sure it was a better designed experiment than that, but that's the gist of it, right? And the people that had never been through a divorce were much more empathetic to the person that was going through the divorce. 
and the people that had been through divorce were much less empathetic because they kind of had this attitude of like, well, I was able to do it, so you should be able to do it too. And I think this greatly applies to programming as well, right? Like we as developers, because we already learned how to code, we kind of had this attitude like, I learned it, and now it's really easy for me. So I expect you learning this, are you just going to pick it up right away because it's easy, right? And so that gap right there is called the empathy gap. Uh, and it's really tough to overcome. Uh, like you can identify it, right? But it's still really hard to go back and say, no, this is actually really hard. And I have to acknowledge to myself that I actually don't remember what it's like to learn this, that I'm better off approaching this from the perspective of like never having had experience going through this. So yeah, it's tough. Um, you have to take your knowledge that, that has all this other knowledge around it and you have to peel it back to the most basic level and communicate to people on their terms using their vocabulary. Because if you're not using their vocabulary, then you're just talking over your head and you're an asshole, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, no one wants to attend your workshop at that point either. Exactly. Like if you start talking about for loops using like reactive programming, people are going to be like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> right? So you have to t come down and it's like, okay, this is what like one instruction to the computer looks like, right? An instruction is like, I type something and it goes to the computer, the computer you know, does some sort of computation on it. Now we wanna do this multiple times without having to write it literally every single time, so that's why we bring in these for loops, right? Things like that. So it's really difficult to pull back like the onion of knowledge that you have. And it's a learned skill, it's really hard, and I still fuck it up a lot. <laughs> it's definitely, I think, I learn a ton, not really about programming, but I learned mostly about how to kind of be a better person. Like, uh, I used to get frustrated really easily. <laughs> and, and now just having to answer so many questions and to realize that, you know, if you look at different metrics, the only thing that matters when you're teaching is do they get it? And so if, you, if you're super focused on that and do whatever you need to do to get there, you just have to really, like Brian said, just kind of think from their perspective, not what your experience was. Because your experience might have been really messed up too. Like the way I learned JavaScript is not the way I teach JavaScript because no one should learn the way I learned. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably most developers, like most developers learned in a really messed up, not ideal way. And so it's like, you do really have to look at what are the resources out there today and what are also the expectations of today. Like a lot of people before Code Academy have this expectation that things are super hard and you have to like grind and stuff. And but a lot of people coming in right now don't have that because they just did like code year or code hour or something and think it's like super easy. And so at every level you have to kind of think about where, where they're coming from. And then one thing I struggle with a lot is as you get more experience, you get a lot more comfortable with not knowing stuff and just being like, who cares? <laughs> but beginners don't feel like that at all. They feel like they have to understand every single thing. And so, for example, when you're, when you're reading code, uh, it, uh, what's really hard is to look at a big code base and just realize you can't, you can't read it top down. You have to kind of look at a bit at a time and just be comfortable with, okay, this says what it's supposed to do, and, and that's okay. But, but when you're teaching, sometimes I have to explain that don't like don't worry about it. I know that you're worried about what all the other stuff does but you have to focus and kind of ignore it and that's part of the process and yeah I, I think again it's not thinking of my experience because my experience is kind of useless when when teaching and um, yeah it's a exercise in empathy and it's more like product management and create creating products or, or writing than coding at all it has like nothing to do with programming it's making it easy to digest for someone else. But I would say that you, you said that your uh, experience, the way you learned is useless, but it probably isn't because you're empathetic that you're like, I don't want them to learn like the way I did. And you're like helping them learn a better way. So it's like useless as a scar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, and also not just the way that all the stupid things that I did that I want people to avoid, but also trying to help people see through a lot of the stuff that other people say. There are a lot of, especially on Medium, I feel like that's the most guilty location right now. People are trying <laughs> to just get page views. And like when you're just trying to get page views, for example, you could explain something very simply in maybe uh, one example and uh, two paragraphs, but people want to have the most comprehensive guide, the last thing you need to know that you can share, like the only resource the one thing, and <laughs> and that creates these super long, like comprehensive, overly complicated 
things that are yet just another thing that beginners feel like they have to do, which is really like what you're like Ryan, what you're saying before is what is ideal is you learn something when you have the when you have the need to use it. <laughs> if you just learn it because it's on the list of features, that's not a great way to learn. But medium posts tend to be like that. This is all you need to know to <laughs> like write JavaScript, and you're like, no, there's a lot more there. Yeah, uh, there's there's some bad medium. Right. And posts it's not out just there. it's not just medium. That's just an example. But there's this prototype blog post that's like the most comprehensive post ever. That is usually just not. It's just link bait. Just Ac like according to the author. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. <laughs> I think one of the challenges is also the marketing of materials. Like if you go out shopping for books on learning how to code, you, you run into these books that say, learn JavaScript in five hours or you know, like in 30 minutes. So you start reading and you go, my gosh, it's, too, it's been two hours and I don't know how to code, I'm an idiot. <laughs> so I, I think the expectation is that those are insane expectations, right? It's, it's just maybe get started in 30 minutes and you know and get ready for a journey of a lifetime <laughs> so i guess we've touched on it a little bit and I, I think that's interesting the way you say that is how do you know what useful material to learn javascript or a useful resource cheers, cheers. <laughs> yes salute the best answer to that question is ask someone that you trust like us just kidding don't trust I, us <laughs> i would actually even add to that too is yes ask someone that you trust Ask multiple people though too, because like you're going to get varying opinions, and so it's good to kind of hear and ask quite a few people if if you can. It, that is helpful. It reminds me of um, Alice in Wonderland. Do you remember that? You know, she's walking around. She runs into this cat, and it says, "Can you please point me in the right direction?" And says, oh, "Okay, sure. Like, where do you want to go?" And she has, "I have no idea." And says, "Oh, then any any direction will do." Yeah. So when you say what is useful, so I think that's the onus is on the learner to say, what is it that I want to accomplish? And if you have no clarity on that, then good luck. Because people, well-intentioned people will point you in the direction that they believe you want to go. So, and that's the reason, and sometimes as a beginner, you don't know where you want to go. But that's what I like about workshops or webcasts where they say, this is what we're going to build. So at least I know, okay, do I want to do this or not? And so I think that is very important, having some level of clarity as to where you're going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the other thing is that there are a lot of voices that want to give advice. Just kind of rank the people that give you advice by like how thoughtful they are. Because <laughs> there are a lot of people that are great programmers, but like not very thoughtful at all. And they're really going to struggle to think about what your situation is. And so even if someone's not as could have a programmer the earlier in their career, they might be a lot more uh, of a, like give you a lot more relevant information than the person that's been doing it for 10 years. So don't just like look at, oh, someone's programming ability and, and uh, kind of value recommendations that way. And then the last thing I'd say is that because you're gonna, like Ryan said, you should ask a couple people, you're gonna get a lot of different opinions. But when you choose to go down a certain path, which you have to do at some point, you just can't like, evaluate all the time actually focus and do something that one of the people says and try to see it through at least a little bit because if you do if you just dabble like an hour in each one you're not going to get more clarity you're going to get more confused about which is the right way to go at least if you make a mistake and try something for real then you can at least know what was good about it what was bad about it versus just have a, a taste of the first chapter of a bunch of stuff one of my students had this, showed me um, this, uh, his bookmarks in Chrome, uh, a screenshot of it. And it was, I sometimes exaggerate, I used to exaggerate and say it's the 70 bookmarks problem, because that to me was a ridiculous amount of bookmarks, but he had like 150. <laughs> and was, it, was it for all learning JavaScript? Yeah. It was all learning JavaScript. It was like he had a whole folder on like async and promises and he could barely code. And I was like, He's not, <laughs> just delete everything, just delete everything. Especially async and promises, <laughs> like they're definitely things useful, but not, not something now. for a beginner. <laughs> yeah, someone said that you need to know that, and then it got on the bookmarks. So yeah, don't just collect resources, but you ha actually have to do something about it and try them out. What if you don't even know anybody in tech though? Like if you're a super beginner and you maybe you're not in the industry at all, 
you're not going to have someone that you can ask. And it might be terrifying to post something anywhere online to be like, help, how do I know where to go for resources? Cheers. Cheers. So to that problem of like doing a search for learning JavaScript and you get 5,000 hits, how do you know which of those is good? That's actually a really good yeah. question. You could probably start with watching code or front end masters. Like those are great, great resources, right? Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <Yeah>. Salud. <laughs> Cheers. That, that's a good question. You know, I, again, Derek Sievers, you know, he had this phrase. He says, when you trust the source, then they, they can use directives, right? Is like, if I trust you and you tell me do this, just I'll do it. Not because I understand what I'm doing, but because I trust you. So I think that helps a lot is trying to find someone, you know, like in the, in, in YouTube or in the web, someone that you feel some level of trust with, and then just follow what, what they tell you to do. And maybe, maybe it's not the best path, whatever best means, right? But once you trust them, you commit. Yeah, one state that uh, most of my students are in is watching code is kind of an unknown, like tiny little company. So all my students have done everything before. I'd say on average, every student's done at least like five to 10 sites at minimum. Cause like watching code is never the first thing you do cause you never heard of it. And so you will get to that point after you get to the, after you decide to do one thing. But what I tell my students at that point is, and they always ask me about all these things they've done. I don't, I don't know. I haven't done all this stuff, but the one thing that can guide you is like how much progress you made with each thing. I think a lot of times students will like kind of force their way with a specific resource cause it's, super popular and then that will just kind of they'll just bang their heads against the wall and just keep doing it instead of something that they actually like more <laughs> because no one you know it's not as known so instead of thinking that way just let your progress guide you do the thing that you made the most progress with it sounds so obvious but no one does that <laughs> you definitely will after doing a couple things like like someone's style or just like not even the way they teach, but like the topics they choose to teach. And once you find that, just like Lewis said, just stick with that. And it's gonna be different for different people depending on your goals. Like if you're not doing web development, then you know, front end masters is probably not, or watching code is not gonna make the most sense. But if you are doing web development, then something like that would, would, would be really good. And the other thing is that to be very clear about the kind of resource you're looking at, I'd say there are a couple of like very distinct categories. One is uh, it's on a specific tool or topic. So it might be, I don't know, intro to React or like Webpack or something. And that at, your, at the early stage is not the right thing to do. But maybe later once you're like more intermediate. And then there's stuff that is like foundational, like how to program. And then finally there's like encyclopedic references. And so don't do the th mistake I did, which is try to get foundational information from a reference or try to learn Webpack when you're a beginner, right? <laughs> do, do the right resource for what your goal is. I think for learning JavaScript and in general, just learning anything for, it's less than a like mechanical problem of actually like going through the motions, it's a motivation problem, right? At least it was for me. Like, I'd get home from work when I was a brand new, you know, junior developer, and I'd be like, I just want to sit down and play Xbox, <laughs> right? But like, if I'm working on something I'm super stoked about, some side project or some just stupid to-do list, because God bless to-do lists. <laughs> <laughs> Then like I get stoked about it and I yeah. can like I can spend three hours banging my head against the wall until it's like, oh, okay, this finally makes sense, right? So if you find something that gets you motivated, like definitely chase that, right? Like just chase that until until you're sick of it and then and then go play Xbox. Yeah, no, <laughs> I actually want to add to that because I think that's how I learned a lot was just trying to build something. And I, I think sometimes I think Louise, you mentioned sometimes it's hard to come up with the idea of what you actually want to build. That is definitely true but people try and create this brand new idea it's okay to go create a new to-do app it's okay to go create a new social media site any of that you're going to learn so so much and like brian said you'll hit your head on the wall multiple times trying to figure it out but at least you're slowly getting there and you're accomplishing something and i found that always motivated me more was to actually create an end product all right. Well, as we l wrap up today's episode, we like to share pics of things that we have 
found interesting or that we've liked to share with the podcast. Let's go around the table and share our picks for today's episode. Mars, you want to start it off? Sure. I think I'm going to pick a conference if anyone's looking for a workshop or anything to attend. Um, Forward JS is happening here in the city March 1st. It's been typically been a pretty good conference. Lots of really interesting people there from, you know, all walks of life and all levels of experience and a couple of us will be speaking, so that's exciting. Mars, are you speaking? Yes, yes I'm speaking. <laughs> Let's be fair that Mars is speaking. Yeah. I'm going to be not coding live. <laughs> Smart move. Yeah. So uh, this is the, the hardware edition for Brian. Uh, the first one is the Sheet Fulla, which Ryan told me to pick. It's a little uh, USB audio processor slash amp that you can plug your headphones into, and it makes them sound a lot better. I'm not a huge audiophile, but it does actually make a substantial difference if you have nice headphones, right? Like if you're using the earbuds, yeah, d don't bother, right? But if you have nice headphones, it actually does make a, a fairly substantial difference. I'll agree. I tried it out yesterday for a good 10, 20 minutes. It was great. Yeah, I've got a deck amp. It's definitely worth it. Yeah, there, there's a few of them out there. This is, just happens to be the one that I like. Um, and they have varying levels. That's, I just got the cheapest one because I'm cheap. The next one was recommended this morning from one Harry Wolf. Shout out Harry Wolf. It's a network attached storage unit from uh, Synology. And basically you kind of get your own personal cloud on your own network that you can back up to your own cloud, which is like locally on your network. And then this particular Synology unit will then take that and then back it up to S3 for you which I thought was pretty cool, right? So you back up once locally. So if you know you never need to restore, you can do that. But if there's a house fire and you lose both your computer and your backup unit, then you can pull it from S3 or from Glacier or um, wherever you want. And it's all encrypted. So if you know the government subpoenas S3 for it, then they, they can't get it, right? Because they don't have the key for it. So That's pretty awesome. So I'm, I'm just hiding all my shit out there. <laughs> <laughs> what are you hiding? <laughs> uh, that's the point. <laughs> Ryan, what do you have for us? So my first pick is a TV show on the Sci-Fi Network called The Expanse. Um, it's based off of The Expanse book series. And the first two series of the show are book based off the book Levathian Wakes. Um, I read it, and it's a really good book. And the show is just extremely well done. It's probably one of the best sci-fi shows I've, I've watched in a really long time. Uh, my second pick is the intro to storytelling class on Khan Academy. So Khan Academy teamed up with Pixar to create a, a class on just storytelling. Uh, it looks, I haven't taken it yet myself, but I definitely am going to spend some time and go through this because it just looks awesome. And my third pick is a song called New Day by Xavier Eleven. And it's just one of those songs I can put on and it will always make my day better. Great. Stacy, what do you have? All right, so three things. Uh, first pick is an article by Jake uh, Archibald, Archibald, I don't know. Uh, future of loading CSS, there's, uh, so behind a feature flag in Chrome Canary for experimental web platform features, you can now see CSS being progressively loaded, which is pretty sweet. So we've done a lot of work over the years to like bundle our CSS together and minify it and so it doesn't block rendering and this is kind of a, a cool thing to see uh, browsers implement, so there's that. My second pick is for learning. JavaScriptCodeSchool.com is something that I found pretty helpful in my personal learning. They have some, I like their, their style of creating like a little jingle <laughs> for, for each thing. So I was learning Ember, that, that jingle got stuck in my head. And then my third pick is a song by Nathan Fake called RVK. He hasn't put out anything in a while, um, so it was really exciting to, to listen to something new by him. Great. Gordon, what do you have? Hey, cool. I just have a few. Uh, obviously, watching code, if you want to learn JavaScript, it's the place to go. The second is rereading and just looking at things over again. So when you're going through a course, a lot of people, they don't really review effectively, so they like rewatch the course. A better way to do that is just to reread the code that you produced in the course, and it's a really concise, condensed view. And if you understand that, you don't need to go read through the whole thing again. So that's a really good way to kind of reinforce things. And then one thing that I've been rereading from probably 10 or 15 years since college is the essay, 10 Things I've Learned by Milton Glaser. He's the creator of the I Love New York logo. This essay has impacted my code and life and the way I think about products and my career more than anything else. And I 
reread it all the time. So check it out. If you, it'll be the top result. Ten things I have learned. Great, Luis. What do you have? Well, I'll I'll start with watching code. I'm not being paid a commission. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just a fan. <laughs> so I'll, I'll start with that one, and then I. I have a piece of advice which is going to make you look very dorky next time you travel, but you're going to thank me, which is, is basically industrial noise blocking headband or, you know, earmuffs. And I, I travel a lot for work and I, I travel to Latin America, so the airlines are not the best and sometimes you get all kinds of crazy stuff in the, in the, going on in the airplane. <laughs> So this, you know, you go to Home Depot and for $9, you can buy this industrial head, uh, noise cancellation thing. And it's awesome. Like I, I've had kids crying in front of me and it's, it's almost like you can press a mute button. <laughs> <laughs> Only $11. $11. And these are the expensive ones. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. <laughs> and, and lastly, I would say um, uh, Derek Sievers, uh, his last name is S-I-V-E-R-S. He has this website called sievers.org. He labels himself a programmer, writer, and avid student of life. I make useful things and share what I learn. I, I think it's any time you spend on his website, it's, it's time well spent. Great, thank you. So I have three picks as well. I feel like everyone's had almost like three picks, which is great. This last week, I've got a new tattoo on my kneecap, which was not really the most fun. I thought I'd choose the artist name's Awesome Maples. He's probably one of my favorite tattoo artists. I have a few tattoos from him. Really good artist in San Francisco and tattoos at Idle Hand Tattoo, which is an amazing shop. Then I also saw this amazing demo last week or a couple weeks ago called Fluid Paint. It was done in WebGL and it's just like amazing. It's like looks like paint on the screen. It's pretty awesome to play with, pretty impressive. Then my third pick is a Netflix original documentary called Abstract. Abstract is kind of like the chef's table for artists. It's amazing. They have episodes on sneaker designer, a illustrator, graphic designer, Thanks. architect. There's a fair amount of them. I've seen almost all the episodes. It's really good. I think my favorite one is probably the first episode on the illustrator. It, he's crazy and just like amazingly smart and interesting. So definitely worth checking that one out. All right. So before we uh, end the episode, I would like to thank Gordon and Louise for being guests on the podcast. It was great having you both on and thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you for the podcast. It's awesome. Great. Well, yeah, I know, Louise, you've listened to it for a while. I'm, so I'm a fan. Awesome. <laughs> thank you. A good resource. It is. <laughs> Salud. <laughs> Where can people get in touch with you? Um, so I'm on Twitter. It's Gordon underscore Zhu, Z-H-U. And... I'm at Netflix, so happy to help you with anything related with payments processing. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for listening to today's episode. If you've been enjoying the episodes, please rate us on iTunes. It really does help us share the podcast with more people that are finding it interesting. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at FrontendHH. Any last words? You should mail us a postcard. What kind of postcard do you want? Uh, I mean, the best one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah just just mail us uh, 100 winchester circle in los gatos california with your favorite resources for learning resources cheers, cheers. Or alcohol. cheers. <laughs>